3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation, and recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Monday Breakfast. My name's James, and we've got a special program today. It's summer programming. Our regular programmers are hopefully enjoying a nice break. We've got Christian here. Good morning. And we've got Jacob from the Friday Rave. Good morning. It's good to have you guys in the studio. It's bloody different being in here at this time of the morning, I've got to tell you. Yeah, how is it being in here in the morning? Oh, it's strange. There are people outside running around and stuff. Hello, all you morning people. And it's not Friday? It's not Friday. Can you still rave? Oh, you don't really want me to rave this time <laughs> of the morning, mate. That's more an after-work thing. We can have short and sharp raves today, Jacob, but not, no long uh, Friday raves. You're with it, yep. <laughs> so we're going to talk um, a little bit today on, I guess, some different types of, a little bit of a different type of show. We've got uh, coming up, uh, What Did You Miss? We're going to talk a little bit about some of the political um, news and issues that have come out over the last couple of weeks. While a lot of people have been taking a little bit of a break from work and things like that, there's still plenty of news that's hit the world. Then we've got Tim Webster, who's going to be talking about his new book on the Victoria market. It's a beautifully uh, illustrated book. In The pictures from it are... Amazing, and I think particularly with the campaign to save the Vic market that Jacob has been involved in, that it's going to be really interesting to talk to him. Yeah, I'm holding it up to the microphone so people <laughs> can see it there. And then we've got a couple of, we've got uh, Christian's going to be playing some music for us throughout the show. A couple of new releases of 2017 and uh, just uh, another track as well. And we've got a couple of other things. We're going to be looking uh, ahead to 2018 and looking at some of the issues that may be dominating the news over the year. Yeah, and what kind of issues are they going to be? I mean, seriously, every year you look forward to the next year and it's almost got to the point now where everything that comes on, I think, I couldn't have imagined this kind of rubbish in my wildest dreams. (laughs) It's, it's getting crazier and crazier every year, baby. I'm just getting older and more cantankerous. It's good to hear that um, Donald Trump is, um, uh, like, you know, we knew he was a genius, but he's, <laughs> he's, you know, he's got all his marbles, he's using all of his marbles, he's got everything that, you know, intact in his brain. He's, he's let a, us know that during the week. Well, not only is he yeah. a genius, he's a stable genius. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's good to know that. From yeah. a stable genius. I feel really geniuses. reassured. Yeah. yeah. Straight from the horse's mouth, I could say. <laughs> well, I guess one of the things that will be coming up is um, midterm elections in the US. Mm. So it should be interesting to see how, you know, Donald Trump's perception, I guess, outwardly and in the kind of circles that we might mix in through 3CR and that kind of thing, uh, perhaps a little bit different to, you know, what some of the American voters believe. Yeah, well, that's an interesting thing to start on, Donald Trump. Like... All this stuff has come out about him, you know, with, um, with Wolf's book, um, Fire and Fury and, and all that. And, 
and his, as Christian said, claimed that he's, a, that he's a genius. I mean, we knew that he knew all the big words and stuff. He always said he had the best words. But what really gets me, I've got to say, is the way, and is the way people are focusing on how unstable and what an idiot is. And he is unstable and what an idiot, but we knew that mm. before you elected him. And it's, it's like, um, why are people, and, and part of, I think part of, um, Donald Trump's thing is that by having such a, a fool, not a fool, because he's not a fool, you, you don't get to be commander mm. of chief of the most powerful military in the world and running the strongest country in the world through being an idiot. Mm. You, you just don't do that. So, so the people that put him there, um, whoever whoever they may be, by um, probably knew I'd have to say at this point that that by having such an idiot there, having the focus being on Trump's psychosis and um, personality, for lack of, lack of a better word, what the people aren't doing and what the left aren't doing, largely in the United States or in Australia, is talking about the actual fabric of the Western democratic capitalist system it's all about how what an idiot trump was which then implies it would be better if there was somebody else there but don't no, we have wouldn't? like similar kind of things i guess with nixon and bush in particular where you know nixon was seen as this actor who was you know acting the part of president and then you know i think that or particularly that image of uh, george bush reading the book upside down in the classroom when he heard the news of september 11 comes to mind, but he was, you know, often mocked in a very similar way to Trump is, mm. and we're told that he was an idiot and things like that, but you saw, and, you know, that, I mean, any kind of government is not just the one figurehead, obviously, you know, and Bush particularly had some very key people behind him, probably more so than, say, Trump does, but they are manipulating the system to be, not only to get themselves elected, but in terms of being able to run, as you say, the you know the military and the American government and things like that you cannot do that if you're an idiot and I guess it makes you wonder how much they are using that as a way to pull the cloak over people's eyes I guess well yeah. personality is a good word to use and that that's what I mean it, it's it's that but it is also just a diffusion of what of where we look so you know even recently um, there's photos of Malcolm Turnbull in uh, what he wears when he's swimming at the beach oh, and an article. Okay. An article was about... More than Tony Abbott, I hope. Well, what it, what it was was comparing <laughs> yeah. what, what different prime ministers wear when they swim. Oh, and, God. you know, so... And almost almost rating them, well, the, you know, uh, we don't like what Tony Abbott wears when he swims. We don't oh. really like what Malcolm Turnbull was. And the article sort of ended with, well, why can't they just wear board shorts like everybody else? And, it, you know, it, it sort of said something about yeah. what are we looking at? What are we what, looking at here? You know, who, <laughs> you know oh, is, it, is there a relevance? Is there, you know? Well, my favourite prime ministerial swim, I've got to say, is still Harold Holt. <laughs> <laughs> it's... <laughs> I think he had floral tight shorts. He had floral yeah. boy pants on type yeah. thing, didn't he? Well, that's what Malcolm had. He had sort of boy pants. They were tight, but... But a, bit, but a bit more to them than Malcolm. Than, um, uh, but Malcolm than, was in Sydney, Tony, probably. You know. We should take Malcolm <laughs> down to Cheviot Beach. <laughs> yes. Anyway, on that note, um, <laughs> were there any other kind of issues you wanted to touch on, Jacob? I know, like, I guess particularly um, we were talking off-air about some of the things that have been happening over the last couple of weeks and ever since Donald Trump made the announcement about the US embassy in Jerusalem that Palestine has particularly oh, been yeah. in the news and... 
Yeah. You know, I think it seems like every few years there's more kind of um, forceful interaction with Palestinian people to move further back into land. Well, why did he do it? That's the question. Why did he do it? You know, I am... I reckon he, he bought his way out of an impeachment myself with the, with the religious right. There are a whole lot of crazy religious, what they call themselves, dispensationalists, the Christian Zionists, who have been pushing for a move the, of the embassy to Jerusalem for many years, and now he's finally done it. And you notice, you know, two days before he did that, everyone was talking about impeaching him. No one's talking about impeaching mm. him now. He's bought his way out of an out of an impeachment, but of course that doesn't help the people of Palestine. Um, it may have helped the people of Palestine a little bit in in terms of the the, the attacks that have come on them um, are now getting sharper condemnation internationally. The um, the Arab the Arab Union are now talking about going to the UN um, with a move to formally recognise Palestine with East Jerusalem its capital. That wouldn't have happened had Trump not have made the stupid move that he did so so you know in a way in a way trump's move actually i mean it was obviously it was devastating and all the rot that went down in palestine after that announcement but in another way by pushing it like that so obviously and so extremely he's actually garnered support for palestine around the world which which could only be a good thing is part of his success if you like his ability to be able to do a deal you know it, that's what he could do yeah. previously you know privately and yeah. he, like you're saying you know he's um is that what happened is it you know his his ability to want you know yeah. I, I can do a deal with anything you know to anyone wants one, to do a deal with me to pull one out of his back pocket mm. now I've, I've been told i can't use the colorful language i use at five o'clock on a friday afternoon uh, but yeah pulling one out of his back pocket so mm. to speak um and which is exactly what he's done there. Another one he's done, just in, you know, we're talking about the, you know, um, the, uh, what's it we call it, um, the Iran nuke deal. He decertified the uh, Iran nuke deal, the, um, uh, what's it called, JCPA, the Joint Certified Plan of Action, um, which saw Iran dismantling its nukes, its nuke facilities, and also saw a lot of international investment in Iran, and then, of course, shortly after um, after Palestine, he decertified the Iran nuke deal, the JCPA, which led to the fled, flight of capital out of Iran. And now you've got all these... I mean, the protests that are happening in Iran at the moment are really, are really worrying me. I mean, I don't want to... I was accused of being a, a miserableist <laughs> on, on um, social media the other day, but it just strikes me that... Um, we we saw this. I saw this six years ago in Libya. Mm. Spontaneous uprisings, and, and it's just got State Department written all over it. To me, mm. and that's not to say the people in Iran yeah. don't have absolute legitimate reasons to protest, and they should be protesting, and mm. we should be supporting them, of course. But it just worries me of of what it's actually part of. Anyway, mm. but there's what's his name? What's his name? Trump. <laughs> Trump, Trump. Remember, remember when um, John Oliver made the revelation that the, when the, his family moved to the United States, they changed their they actually changed their name from Trump yeah. to Trump, and he yeah. had that campaign to make <laughs> Trump Trump again. <laughs> and um, I wonder whether we should try to relaunch that in some way. Well, I guess this has turned into a fairly Trump-centric discussion, but I think it's probably pretty apt as we 
you know, have said goodbye to 2017 and look towards 2018 that we do reflect, I guess, on, you know, what has been a year of Trump. A year of Trump. And I think it is <laughs> interesting uh, in the sense of, you know, I think a lot of the the rhetoric about and statements and things that he have made have been, um, you know, very difficult to comprehend. And I think particularly in the kind of world that we live in today where language is very much at the forefront of people's mind. And I think sometimes that even clouds, like, what the actions of people are as well. But I think that in terms of his actions and actual things that have happened outside of, you know, I think there's been a lot of, um, as I said, a lot of things that have, have been spoken about, but a lot of his actions haven't necessarily been as dramatic as we we perhaps, you know, thought yeah. they would be. And I think looking back at some other... You know, we talked about um, Bush and people like that. Their first year or so in, in office was a lot more, I guess, dramatic and things for, for people across yeah. the world. Well, when you talk about language, it's, um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the president immediately before Donald Trump, Obama, mm-hmm. you know, the left, um, you know, the ALP type left in Australia, but, but also the broader left around the world are reminiscing and missing um, Barack Obama, you know, mm-hmm. um, you see, you know, a particular union leader mate of mine had a picture on his Facebook page of him and Obama shaking hands saying, Mr. Big Guy already. And I thought, this bloke deported more refugees in any period of, in any year of his presidency than Trump did. Mm. He launched the extrajudicial killings. He had drone assassinations all over the world. He upped the military. He spent more money on nukes than any other president since nukes began. And yet we look, because he had great language and because he wasn't an obvious red-headed fool. It's who the language is directed to as well. Like like Obama's language is directed to people maybe that you're talking about. Yeah. But Trump's language is obviously directed at somebody. And, you know... Yeah, they're probably thinking, "Oh, I love his language," you know. That's that's, that's yeah. right. They're, they're loving his language, yeah. and they hated Obama's language because mm. Obama, Obama spoke um, South Chicago mm. uh, social liberalism. There was a great book that came out quite a number of years now. It was during George Bush's presidency, and the author Joe Bajent, who unfortunately uh, passed away mm. a couple of years ago, his book "Deer Hunting with Jesus: Dispatches from America's Class War," and I think it really. We talk about, Christian mentioned about who Trump is speaking to. That book really articulates uh, better than anything that I, I've read um, at that time about why it is that the, the working class and uh, people who are, were most affected by Republican policies are still voting and campaigning for Republicans. Yeah. And I think that that, yeah, it was, I would suggest anyone who hasn't, um, it's still really relevant to the kind of politics that are happening today. But, because I think there was a lot of talk about, you know, Trump has spoken to people in a way that, you know, is different and, and all this kind of thing. But really, it was very much the way that it was galvanizing, galvanizing that kind of base and yeah. that working class downtrodden base. And yes, a lot of it, particularly, I think, for Trump is a, is a white base. But there was still, um, you know, there was still a lot of people of color and, and women and that yeah. would, ended up voting for Trump. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. And, and if you go back even further than Joe Bajan, in the, I think it was the 
80s or maybe even the 70s, Umberto Eco, who has also passed away a couple of years ago, wrote a brilliant book, a series of essays called Travels in Hyperreality, mm-hmm. which really, really show how, how America was heading down to a reality TV show mm. presidentship back then. You yeah. know? If you put those things together and into a sort of more local context um, and look at uh, Peter Dutton talking about... Um, no, you know, in, in Melbourne we can't go out um, at night time for fear of um, African gang violence. Mm. Um, it it's, it kind of relates in the sense that it, why is he using that language and why um, and why does that come forward now? You know, who's yeah. who's he talking to? What you know? Ah, oh, well, we know who he's talking to. Yeah, mm. he's a. And you know, let's not forget. It, it's not an accident either. You know, no. you, you, <coughs> why why do you say that right now? And why you know what? He, he, he comes out, he, he's, he's a dog whistler. Let's not forget where he comes from, the Queensland Drug Squad. Well, <laughs> um, that's been a pretty good wrap-up, I think, of um, not just, I guess, what we've missed in the last couple of weeks, but, you know, looking back a little bit towards the year. Um, so in a moment, we're going to go to a musical track, and then we're going to come back with our guest, Tim Webster. I think 3CR is the voice of the people speaking back to the establishment and telling them what they think and sometimes it's something they don't want to hear. You're listening to Summer Programming on 3CR. The regular programming team are taking a well-earned break. So we're bringing you highlights and specials as well as some of our favourite music. Summer Programming on 3CR. CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor The New International Bookshop for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. Hey, you're listening to uh, Monday Breakfast on 3CR here with James, Christian and Jacob. Heard a track there from Equality of Mercy 2017 local release, RVG there, and that was the title track, Equality of Mercy. Thank you. And we've got Tim Webster with us right now in the studio. Thanks a lot for joining us, Tim. Good morning, James. Very pleased to be here. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming in. And we've all um, had a little bit of a look at your book, not just today. We've been checking it out, actually, over the last couple of weeks. We've caught up on the Queen Victoria Market, which is such an iconic kind of centre of, of so many things, I think, in Melbourne. I know that um, I, I've certainly I've lived really close to the market a number of times, and it used to be a favourite meeting spot of Jacobs on Saturday morning. You used to, to live on Capel Street when I first met you, didn't you? That's true. Yeah, yeah a long time ago. And so I think yeah, the market has played a very special kind of role in all of our lives. I think many times. Um, but yeah, I don't want to like what what drew you to putting together such an amazing book, Tim, about the market and. Oh, thanks, James. Um, well, I started out with an um. I'm not supposed to say um on the radio. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, it's a place that uh, I think it's a spiritual home of Melbourne. St Kilda is in kind of a different way. Fitzroy is a really old suburb. Uh, the Vic Market has underpinned the city. The history of the Vic Market is very much parallel to that of Melbourne. Uh, it's been such a great resource. I've, I've seen it as a utility for the people of Melbourne. It's fed and clothed 
generations of people uh, and it accepts everyone. I think that's such a wonderful thing. Everyone gets a welcome there. Uh, it was uh, full of multiple cultures before Australia was known as a multicultural place. Uh, it's been an engine of cultural diversity and it's made this city what it is. Yeah, I think the, the cultural diversity thing I think is really interesting because whenever you're at the market, you're hit by, you know, visually and, you know, just the smell and the taste and everything is, it's a taste of, you know, so many cultures and parts of the world that, mm. like you say, you know, sometimes that hasn't always been reflective of Melbourne or Australian society, but yet there are pockets of places like the Victoria Market where it's really, you know, it is what it is. <coughs> Yeah, well, even when I was a young bloke coming down, coming down to Melbourne in the seventies, and your Victoria Market was was the I don't know you call it a melting pot as such. That's probably a bit going beyond the pale, but <laughs> but it's where it, it's where all the different ethnicities and all you know all the different people people were, including you know including. People like my, Maltese people like myself were always based around North Melbourne and the, Mel, and, yeah, and the Melbourne market. Uh, I think there are a few things that are really important about the place. And going back to what drew me there, it's that idea of um, authenticity. I'm very interested in the roots of things. Actually, I was working with Indigenous people before I went into the market. And this is when I went in photographing, running around. I collected 180 oral history interviews in the end. Uh, the thing was that uh, it's, it's a source, it's authentic. And if you see a lot of the world news, you know, if something's going on in some city that no one's ever heard of, um, the media will go to the market. Mm-hmm. They'll be drawn to the market to try and get that. Or, you know, what does the common person think? And the other thing that I think is really important uh, that can get lost in all this is there's a very natural... Uh, kind of social justice that happens in that place. It's those fabled Australian values of the level playing field and having a go, you know, the idea of a fair go. And uh, a wonderful thing about that place and and how it's enabled uh, not just acquired tastes but a lot of migrants to get a foot in the door and become part of Australian society is you didn't need a lot of money to go into business. You could have a couple of hundred dollars, a borrowed set of scales, and you're away. Mm. And especially if you're using uh, fresh produce, then, you know, you can get a bit of money and you just build up, build up, build up. And and that's just from the trader's side. But for students, musicians, mm. artists, all the other people, it could be a high court judge or, or, or it could be a street person, you know, you can actually uh, stay alive through visiting and using that place. How do you think it's changed over the, you know, as people coming to the market either to set up as a trader or as someone who's um, visiting? I mean, it strikes me that, in the past, maybe it was everybody went to the market. You know, do, do you think it's everybody? Is it a cross section of people who use the market still, or do you think it's a, I, I guess a narrow market? Yeah, that, that's a really good question, and, but it's a big one. Um, like I was, I was interested in trying to find resonant kind of themes and, and universal mm. things that uh, occur naturally in that place. I guess the same question is, how has Melbourne changed? Mm. And and this book uh, that I've made. Uh, and and that place, they go right back to when Melbourne was a little village, mm. and and yeah. you know the cemetery was yeah. under the car yeah. And that's that's an <coughs> and and the market is changing again. Look, I mean, as James said, we all got connection with the markets. I was there. I I remember pushing my two kids who are taller than me now 
around in a double pram um, through through parts of the market back back in the day. So I go back, but also I, and a lot of you know James probably wouldn't even know this, but I used to work at Paddy's Market in Sydney mm. many years ago in the eighties. I was the two dollar man, you know, come one, come all, pick the stalls, all two dollars here today, two dollars all you pay. We <laughs> were actually talking about it. this the other day. Yeah, that's right, we were yeah. too. Yeah, and um, um, but. So I've got a real connection with the market. But I see what's happened to Paddy's Market, because I'm a Sydney boy. I see what's happened to Paddy's Market in Sydney, and it's devastated. And I see the plans that um, Robert Doyle is um, allegedly trying to do to the markets, what he's apparently been doing to his staff for years, as it turns out. Um, um, and, and, it, and, it worries, and it worries me. It, it worries me that... that you know that the, not the architecture because the architecture is a beautiful thing and all the rest of it, but the architecture reflects the people. It's the sweat and the grime of the people that are built into those walls now, and it worries me. What's the feeling? You've been talking to these market people, and you know I was there. I think you were there a few weeks back when they had that when we put the truck across Queen Street there and had and had and had a bit of a, a bit of a shout out about the markets. But talking to the market people, what are you, how are they feeling about the proposed changes for the market? Um, I, well, I think there's a great degree of uncertainty about where things are heading. Uh, obviously, there are some divergent opinions. On one hand, you could say that uh, the role of management is to manage and to try and uh, help adapt the place in the face of change. You know, what, what kind of a place um, does it need to become? to survive and remain sustainable. Now, there's a whole uh, spectrum of opinions about that. I think a lot of traders find it difficult um, because uh, it's uh, becoming more difficult for them to maintain uh, you know, their interest in putting in all those hours and all that work. Uh, so uh, it, I, I think it's true what you say, Jacob, that people think about old buildings and stuff like that, or they can even talk about people that have been in there for lots of generations. So it gets back to what is actually worth conserving about that place. And I don't, I, I feel sad if I think of people sitting back and just thinking, oh, she'll be right, and yeah, I don't really care. Like, it's often we only uh, understand what's been lost after it's gone and I think that's kind of a case in point, that place. Um, just to finish off that one, you know, people talk about heritage and I really think the heritage of the market is uh, in those opportunities that have been provided yeah. for so many people, uh, keeping it as a real place for everyone. Uh, you see other markets that have been hot-rodded or done up and all of a sudden it becomes exclusive. Mm. Other people aren't made to feel welcome. It gets this kind of generic gloss that you can find anywhere. And, and so looking at the unique things, um, the word heritage is the same thing as uh, inheritance, you know, uh, and about legacy. So what are the things that we hope to be carried forward from that, you know, what, what's worth looking after. And some people like to think of heritage as, as something that's, oh, you know, it's about pretty things and, and it's about old stuff. Uh, but the legacy, you know, the real question is that, is to whom do the benefits accrue? And, and I still, I guess it's a bit of an old lefty, uh, think that those things and that place exists for everyone, for the people of Melbourne, and we really need to hang on to that. No, we've done a wonderful job in the book. They can see the passion that you're talking about that's, that's, celebrating, <laughs> that's celebrating what's there and therefore 
you know, that's what you would look to to, to retain in the future. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think yeah. one well, of the ways... Nothing wrong with being an old lefty here at CCR. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, don't apologise, right? <laughs> I think one of the ways that it looks to me, like the way that you've really tried to tell the story is through the eyes of um, the people that use the market and the people that are that work there and all that. And, yeah, it's really, I think it's really interesting, particularly there's some really amazingly striking kind of visual parts of the book, as well as just the stories and, you know, their kind of first-hand stories as well. And, other, you know, other times when people might write a history, it can be, uh, yeah, I guess told from... Uh, a different viewpoint as you know looking looking above and this is really taking in a lot of that grime and the you know everyday aspects of the market i think that's a really interesting and great way to kind of tell the story yeah well it, it's an era of um the triumph of um publicity and sort of marketing over hard news i suppose mm-hmm. and life's not all beautiful um one of the, you know I, my thing in life work-wise is uh oral histories and hopefully beautiful photography and so I've made a point um, of uh, keeping the way people actually express themselves in the words so it's not you know what do I reckon Uh, it's actually about uh, what people find uh, from their own personal hopefully the more intimate the better Mm. their point of view uh, what's it like to work there Uh, you know what's special about the place how did they come to be there and just from those basic questions people go in so many different uh, mm. directions. Some people want to talk about uh, their God. Some people want to talk about uh, their time off or the hours or what it means to their kids or the funny people they've met. Or, But especially in terms of this work, um, it's actually celebrating a lot of voices that aren't there anymore. Mm. Um, the old people, when I went in, um, there were some very uh, elderly characters and they'd known the Depression, you know. They were queuing up with Billy's uh, to get soup in the 1930s in mm. bare feet. Uh, they saw the Second World War. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, I feel very pleased that, uh, you know, whatever happens in the future, um, this thing will kind of be be there for people to get at least a little bit of a sense of. And, well, if you don't mind, also just... For people who want to find out a bit more, I'll just mention now before I forget, um, there is a website, qvmarketbook.com, and people can get a bit of a sense of the book from that. Yeah. I'm just looking, I'm summing through the book now because there's a photo I'm I'm looking for that really, uh, look, you'd have to see the photos. Have a look at um, QV Market Book. Yep. Yeah, qvmarketbook.com. But there was a, a, and get yourself a, a copy, but um, there was a great... Oh, there it is. A great picture there of the mushrooms down by Little Broken Wall. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and that's down in the alley behind the delis, I'd imagine. It, you can't see it in the context yeah, of the well, photo. It, yeah, it's actually but, one of the old uh, red gum posts that right. lights up the shed. Yeah. And I, I think ah, it, it's yeah. quite difficult for uh, people to see the mess and the decay as part of the heritage of the place. But when I was actually making that... Um, photograph a, a Chinese guy who'd worked there for a long time came up and sort of tapped me on the shoulder and he said that that is the heritage of the market that's well, which is funny because well, it's mould what, you know? well, that's what I was thinking <laughs> that, that, that there, is, there is still a place to particularly to say with the hot rodding of it um, that is what's going to go Mm. That's what's going to go. The mushrooms coming out of a little, a l- little bit of mouldy wood sticking out of the sticking out of the ground. That's what's going to go, and that is the kind of heritage, a place where the mushrooms can grow. 
Well, yeah, and I, I think also hopefully what won't go, um, like I love it that it's actually uh, it's a perfect place for someone who's naturally kind of has anarchistic tendencies but also half a business brain. In other words, that like it's evolved, that place it's between the trader and the shopper and it hasn't been a bunch of people sitting around going, oh, we'll, we'll do this and people will want that and we'll sell that. And It's not by design, it's evolved and that's mm. a really special thing. There's not that many places left in Melbourne like that. True. Well, what's going to... Um retain that heritage though is is that people love it and that a new group of people love it you know so you talk about the past you know people and their their love for it but having a book like this and people reflecting on what it is for them and maybe drawing a new audience because i mean i guess that's why they want to redevelop is you know they're looking at what's the audience you know we want more people you want to redirect that energy that people want to come there for what's already there rather than what's you know yeah what's going to be I think that's right. Um, the the thing with the book is you get something instantly from the pictures, so you can sort of flip through it, and then you can dip into it to all these varied mm. and and the rich voices. But I think in the end, um, like a lot of this is covered in the book, whether it's about transportation or packaging or how all these things have changed over years. But Melbourne has become a huge city, and uh, this was the centre. This mm. was the wholesale market for the entire state until the 1960s. Uh, so, of course. It's more difficult for people to get in here now. Uh, there are other issues. Uh, and, and, and so how do you uh, kind of keep what's good yeah. and, and not throw the baby out with the bathwater sort of thing? Like mm. change is inevitable. It's how do we adapt and keep that special thing running? Well, it's been a really great chat, Tim, yeah. and thanks a lot for coming in and thanks, sharing your um, thoughts about the market and, and the book and everything. Uh, unfortunately, we have to wrap things up now but if you would um, please just give one more um, shout out to that website where people can check out the details of the book yeah so it's um, www.qvmarketbook one word qvmarketbook.com yeah and also I'm Tim Webster Photography if you look up Tim Webster Photography you can see some of the other work I've done in various places so uh, I'm pleased to be in such good company guys thank you very much well hope to see you at the markets one day absolutely I'll be the bloke in the little deli lane there behind Ren's Cafe great I I might be helping my mate sell potatoes (coughs) right (laughs) well thanks a lot Tim Um, we've got uh, I think we're going to go to a track and then we've got Ruby from the Australian Student Environment Network coming up Nice and great. Welcome back to the MCG. Coming up next, we have summer programming by 3CR. Oh, it's got him. He's out. Get out of here. Have you been caught behind? Your maiden been bowled over? Not a streaker in sight? Tune in to 3CR summer programming for a summer series of a different kind. got summer programming by 3CR for Christmas. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55am. Hey, you're on 3CR Monday morning radio with James, Christian, Jacob. That was uh, Fountain of Good Fortune, the name of that track, and the rolling, I always have to read this, the rolling blackout coastal fever is the name of that band. 
Wow. From their 2017 release, The French Press. Now, that's a band you won't hear on, on a commercial radio station. <laughs> well, they, they just got some uh, big festival gigs, actually. Oh, good. Yeah. The same bill as Beyonce. Whoa. <coughs> well, um, on that note. Thanks a lot. We've got um, Ruby coming up next, who is from the Australian Student Environment Network, and she's going to be having a bit of a chat to us about their upcoming camp and just, I guess, a little bit about what the Student Environment Network does. Are you there, Ruby? Yeah, hi. How are you going? Morning, Ruby. Good day, Ruby. Good morning. Thanks a lot for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having us. I wonder if you could just... um, Start by just giving us the listeners the details of the camp and maybe just talking a little bit about uh, why people are getting together. Sure, no worries. Um, I guess, yeah, the thing that's coming up is called ASEN Training Camp and ASEN stands for the Australian Student Environment Network. Um, It's a bit of a misnomer in that it's not actually just a camp for students or a collective of people um, that are students, but we, we call them students for life now. So everyone is actually welcome of all ages, children included, um, parents. Um, yeah, and it's a space to share skills and knowledge, um, build community to try and create a better world, I guess, to discuss um, environmental and justice issues that I guess our society we, we think struggles with and, um, yeah, try and kind of empower each other to be able to, like, be practical um, and not just theoretical about how we can kind of, yeah, engage with those kinds of issues in a, in a meaningful way. And, yeah, we kind of camp together um, and it's, yeah, it's wonderful time to kind of spend um, in summer kind of, yeah, with other people who care about similar things to you. And where is the camp this year, Ruby? So it's um, in a place called Minto, um, Minto Heights, which is on Sarawal country. Um, it's 50 minutes southwest of Sydney. Um, and, yeah, it's kind of near Campbelltown, and there'll be a river on site, um, and we'll all be camping or staying in cabins. You don't want to camp. There's some cabins available. And, yeah, it goes for about five days from the 15th to the 21st um, of January. So coming up in, a, in a, about a week or two. Yeah, a week. So um, and, yeah. So that's along the George's River down, in, yeah. down, down there. That's right near the, that's right near the um, Lucas Heights Nuclear Research Station, Minto Heights. Like you've got a Sydney Down junior. that way, yes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I think one Which of the... Maybe, we'll, yeah, we're, we're discussing actually the nuclear industry at training camp and um, how kind of that, that functions and empowers Aboriginal people by uranium mining in many ways and leads to nuclear weapons and the nuclear industry, which is, yeah, very problematic. Mm. Is yep. it an annual camp that has uh, take, takes place around Australia? Yeah, um, so it happens often at a different place every yeah. year. Mostly we've been based in New South Wales and Victoria where um, our collectives are a bit stronger, but we actually do want to build up um, more around the country. So, yeah, we really want people to get involved. Um, I think they'll find it a really, really meaningful experience. And, yeah, we kind of um, – it, it's, it's a sister camp to what's called Students of Sustainability, which okay. um, runs in July, and that's a bit of a bigger, um, I guess, event and gathering. Uh, with workshops and um, kind of similar things to happen at ASIN training camps. We're kind of uh, different kinds of workshops and hanging out and um, cooking together and, uh, you know, dancing and having different discussions and that kind of thing. But this is one's a bit smaller where we do more concentrated, um, like, skill sharing um, with a smaller group, a bit more intimate and focused on specific skill building for campaigns and, and different skills that are required. But, um, yeah, that one also rotates around the country. 
started in 1991 and, yeah, is held in a different state usually every year. We did uh, Newcastle last year, Brisbane the year before, Adelaide the year before that, I think Canberra the year before that, and Hobart the year before that, and we might be doing a Western Australia soon, I think. Western Australia, that's a, a, is that hasten or just sustainability, do you say, going over, looking at Western um, Australia? Yeah, so, I mean, ASEN exists in Western Australia in that we have, um, like, environmental collectives or members of ASEN who live in Perth and in Western Australia, and we kind of communicate with them, um, and they come over. They're coming over to ASEN training camp, so we meet up with them every year. Um, and then SOS, which is Students for Sustainability, is a July gathering, um, happens at a different place every year, and I think Western Australia um, are keen to take it on soon, possibly. Um, I think one of, the, the one of the really great things that the... Um, network is doing is, is I guess, even by the name of talk, calling it a training camp. And I know Jacob and I were talking about something else um, a couple of weeks ago around, I guess, conferences and, and meetings and things like that. While, you know, they they certainly have a really important place in organising on the left and, and all that kind of thing. But some of the conferences, they can, you know, be, I guess, bogged down a little bit in the kind of theoretical things and, and not have a focus of of trying to skill people and, and get them ready to campaign. And it sounds like actually like the training and that aspect of the camp is something that's a real focus. Yeah, it seems that sometimes you go to these conferences and um, all they let you, all, all they manage to do is to stop, stop people conferring. <laughs> you know, you're sitting in, you're sitting in seats looking at, looking towards the front. So it's, as James said, it's great to hear it's more of a training camp, Ruby. Sounds like, sounds like a lot of fun too. Sounds like we've lost Ruby, in fact. It sounds like a lot of fun. I, I, with the dancing and um, being um, camping all together and eating, as well as uh, I guess looking forward and talking about um, what's happening around Australia and uh, all those different from different people's perspectives. I guess. Yeah, I think the the I guess the, in terms of the different kind of campaigning and stuff that's happening around Australia, the environmental movement is something that. You know, I think other campaigns can probably take a lot from in the way that they're organising and, uh, you know, really networking together and using each other's resources and things like that. Um, yeah, I think that it's something that is a really strong part of the environmental campaigning that goes on. Well, it makes me think of just going back to talking about to Tim Webster about the market. I mean, that's how you get people involved by looking at what is positive about something or how you enjoy something and. If you're looking at how you're enjoying um, the environment, um, that's a good place to start in thinking about how you're going to save something or, or what, what is a threat to We've to got, um, actually, a little bit later in the program, we've got Liz Turner, who is a sustainability officer at the Hume Council, talking about the Enviro Champions program they have there. And that that's really looking at, I guess, how you can get environmental programs happening in your local area and all that kind of thing as well. So... Yeah, I guess that's following on the theme of that as well. Yeah, being local and being and, and showing that enjoyment and, and love of something shows um, gets people involved. That's how that's how things move forward, I guess. We got Ruby back now, have we? Yes, good to be back. Hey, hey welcome, welcome back, back mate. Ruby. We were just we were just um, fluffy god here talking about. Oh, we weren't. No. <laughs> <laughs> what we were talking about, Ruby, though, was just how um, having something that has that enjoyment and and love in it. I guess of cooking together and camping together um, is is where people um, have that holds that interest. I guess to move forward on what what the issues are. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that it provides an experience that's really fun and a nice place to be, and that can give you hope that, you know, people are demonstrating skills about, like, yeah, kind of a democratic way of and non-hierarchical way of organizing and, um, you know, taking action on things they care about, and that shows people that it's possible, you know, mm. to live in a different world. And, and Gigi has totally transformed my life in that it's shown me that a different world is possible, you know, and it makes me, yeah, want to go on, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, and, um, and so this one, because it's a training camp and um, smaller and, um, I guess, more intense than SOS, it's aimed, it's aimed more at people who are either already involved or interested in getting involved in, um, in campaigning, I guess, where the hammer falls and the, um, on, on the lines. That was kind of why um, it was kind of started um, in 2003, but it's evolved to be something that's a pretty easy um, introductory experience, I think, for people. So I think that's actually less intense in terms of like a new experience than SOS because it's a bit smaller and like right. SOS can be a bit overwhelming. Um, but yeah, there'll be um, like uh, sessions on things like gender, um, First Nation solidarity work. So we'll have um, the Millaray people coming and doing. Um, stuff about what it's like to live under, you know, kind of the occupation of their land um, by the state and, and, have, and this world and, yeah, also skill building um, and, yeah, that kind of thing as well to, like, run campaigns. We've just had the, the program come out and it looks really fantastic. Oh, right. And is, is, is that available online at this stage, the program? Yeah. Yes, it is. Where can people have a look um, at that, mate? So um, you can go to the uh, website, asen.org.au. Um, you can also go to our Facebook page, um, and so that would be just kind of search Australian Student Environment Network, and we post about the event, um, which is there's an event, event uh, page as well there. And, yeah, you can have a look at the program. It's really awesome. Australian, Australian Student Environment Network? Network. Network. Excellent. Yeah, that's yeah check that out. Yeah. Thanks a lot for joining us, Ruby. Um, it was great to have a chat about the um, camp that's coming up and to, for listeners to find out a bit more about um, ASEN. And, yeah, coming up, we're going to be having a little bit more of a chat about the year ahead, 2018. I'm going to go to a track. So thanks a lot, Ruby. Thanks, Ruby. No thanks, worries. Ruby. I hope to see you there. Bye. <laughs> see you. Good morning. You're on 3CR, Monday Morning Radio. James, Christian and Jacob. Charlie Tuna there featuring uh, Damon Marley. Guns up in the air from the Fish Out of Water solo record from a few years ago, but I played it because I caught Charlie Tunar just a few nights ago here in Melbourne town. So many people pass through the town, don't they? They do. How was it? It was amazing. It yeah. was amazing. Yeah. And where was it? It was at um, Brown Alley. All right. Yeah. And I went there especially. It was quite late for me, but right. um, it was on about 11:30 at night. Oh, yeah. we get we get the old Chris. Yeah, we I get know. The old but yeah, he was amazing. Right, yeah, spot on. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are next. We're talking about 2018, the year ahead. We're sort of looking ahead to what are the kind of issues that we think are going to be talked about in the news and what's going to be coming up. Obviously, making these kind of predictions are fraught with danger because it could anything could happen that could make anything we say totally irrelevant. But we'll go ahead anyway. Well, a uh, uh, mate, uh, mate reminded me. Last year, about a time in, um, that he and I were sitting on the banks of the Murrumbidgee River at Breadbow down at the original Confess site, mm. and I, I, 
allegedly said, and I don't remember it, but I've no reason to doubt him, I allegedly said we've got Reagan in the White House, Thatcher in Whitehall and Fraser in the Lodge. Things can only get better from here. <laughs> and so and so that, that, that about tells you how my predictions for years go. I mean, now we look at them like they were the halcyon days. That's a good place to start, though, because I think that's what, that's what people think. It's, you know, they think, well, we're in a bad spot now. Things can only get better. And they look at always thinking that the alternative that was there before or the future alternative is going to be a better option. It's how quick do we move to thinking that the past was better, isn't it? You know, I think that, I guess, particularly on the left, we really hark back to the 60s and, you know, all that kind of, that era, that time of politics and whatever. But, um, yeah, I mean, people at that time were, you know, I guess really what makes something a really important thing is, is being in that moment and trying to change what is in front of you, I guess. Mm. Well, um, I was reminded of that before when um, Rosie, was it? Ruby. Ruby that we spoke to, sorry. Ruby that we spoke to before was saying about, you know, working towards a be- living in a better world and each the, each one of those steps or each decision you make is is um, is doing that. That's where I would look to for to 2018, 2018. Well, I guess one of the things we we sort of mentioned at the top was about Trump and the midterm elections. Uh, so I think, I mean, I guess that is something that I think is going to play a big part in the kind of politics, and I guess the outcome of that will certainly have an impact on. I guess it really. It plays an impact of like an early guide of what the um, the actual election, the next election, presidential election, might be like. Yeah, and look, it's it's, and in the lead up to that, all his, all you know, all his foreign policy decisions lately have just, I mean, for 2018, I don't want to be a harbinger of doom, but I say, people, put on your Tupperware underwear, mate, because it's going to be a, it's 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 going to be a rough, it's going to be a rough year, I reckon, not just. You know, but in Australia too. You know, look, look, look what's happening in Australia. We'll probably talk about some stuff later in alternative news. But, but um, it's the microcosm and the macrocosm thing. We're looking at wars and rumours of wars. It's it's mm. we got Iran happening at the moment as we speak, which I'm I'm very confused about. I've got to be honest. It's um, even like you said on a local level. I guess looking very local. We mentioned it when Tim was in. Is that there's you know possibly going to be uh, another election for the Melbourne mayor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean I think that elections, obviously, you know, politics is not all just about parliamentary democracy, but it's certainly I think it's a time when the politics is more in everyone's mind. I guess it it, it plays that kind of role where it's on the newspaper, it's in the newspaper, and it's it's on the radio, and you know where people can people start to allow themselves to, I guess, think critically and politically about what's happening. And there's some, I guess, electoral kind of things that are going to be putting that at people's mind. Yeah, look, the midterms are going to be interesting um, in the US this year, and it's it's more and more as we're, as we're bound up as the, you know, 51st state or whatever of the United States, which is all too blaringly obvious now, although we do fight Canada for that, for that title, I guess. Um, um, th- they are becoming more important to us in a more globalised, in a more globalised world in, in, in particular. And, and it's going to be interesting to see, like, I don't think, I really don't, 
I, I really don't think, and this is what I alluded to earlier when I said people concentrate on what a flip-head um, Trump is, I don't think that the, the centrist left, the, Dem, the Democrats um, in, the, in the United States or the Labor Party here, have actually um, taken on board what the people have been saying to them. They're still telling the people that they were wrong. And I, and I can't see, you know, and that's going to have electoral backlash. Like part of, part of the, you know, Trump support, um, came, I think, when, um, what did, what did Clinton, what did Clinton call them? The detestables or, or something, or something like that, you know, just put, putting them down. Mm. Just like we talk about One Nation supporters, mm. I guess. Um, and I think with that, it really, because like we spoke about what that base is, that it's this um, disenfranchised group of people, and that I think it helps for them to solidify their position of like, yeah, that's right, you know, people are out to get us and, and we're going to stick to our guns about what, what we believe in. Yeah, but it's like the, the, the Democrats, which is analogous to the ALP, um, have become... W- particularly after eight years of the Obama administration, and became solidified as the, as the centrist position. So whereas in the past we used to call the Republicans or the Liberal parties, um, you know, it was the mainstream and the Labor Party slash Democrats were the alternative, it's now be, you know, those parties have moved so far to the right, the whole of politics has moved so far to the right, that the ALP and the Democrats are now the mainstream and the Republicans, the Tories, the Liberal Party are now, are now the alternative. But mm. the unfortunate thing is, is that while we've always called ourselves the progressives and then the conservatives, we're actually, I mean, they're the progressives now because they're progressing their right-wing agenda. Mm. And, and the best, and, and in some ways I say we're the conservatives because we're the ones go, no, don't go that mm. far, too far, too far, slow down a bit. You know, and, and it's a real, I think what we're seeing in 2017, what we'll see in 2018 is a need for, um, those of us working on the left to start, um, I guess, looking beyond the normal left wing playbook and start looking at how we address some of these issues of disenfranchisement that people are moving towards the right for. Mm. Now you, it- you have to um, like articulate your position and change the conversation rather than just say oh, I I don't like that you know or I'm against that. It, or he's a racist. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what yeah, you need to break that down and actually give a, something that's you know a, a different um, a different point of view. Yeah, I think there's some of the issues I think particularly like we've had a, we've got a bit of a theme around environmental issues today I guess and I think in a lot of ways that. You know, we talked about the kind of strength of the environmental movement, but it's also the question that's being asked about climate change, I guess, is so huge. I think that in a lot of ways, uh, you know, it feels really difficult to grasp of what people can do to be a part of that. And I think one of the things that Jacob and I have been um, involved in for a long time is around anti-military um, actions and campaigning mm. and things like that. And I think in a lot of ways that is even more difficult to um, try to talk to people about how they can get involved in stopping war and, and the arms trade and things like that because 
we've become so detached from what the decisions that our politicians and things are making that it's really difficult to get people to a point of wanting to affect change there. Well, one of the most effectual things, I think, is if, if you can articulate to other people um, how the action hurts them or how it hurts, how it's hurting somebody, I think one of the most effectual thing in the um, uh, same-sex marriage um, um, campaign. Uh, campaign, I guess, was when it started to talk about m- mental illness or um, the effect that those things were having on people. Uh, that that was something that people went, oh, okay. You know, it, it stopped people yeah. from thinking about anything else and just go, oh, okay, well, that's something, how, how it's affecting somebody else. And, yeah, up, up until that point, it was... It's, it's, about, well, it's yeah. about empathy. And if yeah. you can create empathy around something, mm. then most people... Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some people, of course, will jump the other way. Yeah, yeah. But, but that, that's, that's fine. You know. Screw yeah. 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 <laughs> but if you create empathy around, like you said before about just saying you're a racist, I mean, if you create empathy around that and, and talk about somebody's yeah. story... Most people should be able to go, oh, okay, well, you know, that's actually some people that, you know, my children go to school with, or that's the guy down the road, or that's the guy at the big market who sells me my fruit and veg. Oh, okay. Well, I like that flip head who gave the white power salute at the cricket the other day. Mm. It's, you know, seemed to have, seemed to do it with absolutely no understanding of what he was doing, just Mm. a a very bad joke, perhaps. Mm. Mm. Well, I think that is. Coming to a wrap of that segment, is there anything else that people wanted to make a prediction or anything of what well, the yeah, is going to hold? I, I, I think I think we're going to have I think we're going to have major shifts in um, in Middle Eastern politics this year, um, such that we haven't seen for for many many years. Probably in Iran, probably since we haven't seen since 1979. Um, but and I, I don't think they're going to be positive. The other thing, as you said, we're on an environmental, a bit of a um, yarn this morning, but also, and I just, as soon as I said Iran, I remembered that there was a crash in the, um, in the South China Sea, was it, or the East China Sea, um, this morning, our time, where, or maybe late last night, I heard about it this morning, our time, a Chinese, a Chinese ship and an Iranian oil tanker crashed, and um, there's... Again, the, the millions and millions and millions of gallons of oil flooding into the ocean and, mm. and, and all that. So it's as, you know, as these things are moving all around the world more and more and more, the risk of, the, the risk of catastrophe is, is, is bigger. And so you've got Japan with a oil slick on one side and the radiation still leaking out of Fukushima. It's not over yet, kiddies. But mm. out the other side, I mean, good lord. Well, that's 2018, the year ahead. It sounds like doom, but, you know... And gloom. Doom and gloom, James. We uh, certainly encourage at 3CR for people to get active and join a campaign and try to fight to change the world. So, um, coming up after this next little break will be alternative news, and then we have an interview after that. I got the red-eyed unemployed workers' desperation blues. Why does a wealthy country like Australia allow its unemployed workers to struggle in poverty without trying to create jobs? You may well ask. Unemployed Workers Fight Back is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union program, part of the sewer program on every second Friday of the month. 
5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Our social security system is being defunded, privatised and dismantled and the poor and vulnerable are being criminalised and trampled upon. The Australian Unemployed Workers' Union is focused on helping unemployed and underemployed workers deal effectively with the job agencies, empowering them to fight back for their rights. Remember, unemployed workers fight back every second Friday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. You're listening to Summer Programming on 3CR. with a song or many songs at the Singers Festival at Abbotsford Convent January 12 to 14 with Jimena Abarca, Lamine Sonko, Beat Lehman, Steve Turner and heaps more singers. Go to boite.com.au The Boite is a 3CR supporter. Listening to Monday Breakfast on 3CR, and this is the alternative news. We take a look at the news that is not being spoken about, or that is, uh, you know, be, we take a different different slant on some of the things that are being spoken about. Fake news. Let's do some fake news, don't. <laughs> well, I think we were perhaps going to chat a little bit about something that I'm sure people have heard about. But um, it's too good an opportunity not to mention it on air is Mr Dutton and um, his concern, I guess, about people's eating habits and whether people are, uh, feel safe to go to restaurants. Oh, not, not with him around, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's, I never thought about it before, but I was thinking of going out to dinner in, um, in Coburg the other night and I just thought, what if I run into Peter Dutton? It, it was terrifying. Well, Christian, you and I were at a restaurant last night. Were you concerned for your safety at all? Um, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't concerned for my safety. I, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see it live on TV, him saying it or anything, but I, I don't know why, like, what is he trying to get to or who is he speaking to in, in saying that, you know? Um, 
he knows that saying, you know, it's a very easy grab, you know, that can be just played around and everybody's talking about it. Um, is it about his sort of conflict with the state government here and he's trying to create something, dialogue between there or, you know, I don't know, what do you guys think? Yeah, I guess, I mean, just to um, go over what he said, that people in Melbourne were unable to safely eat at, I mean, this is not a direct quote, this is a gist of what he said, at restaurants because they will be concerned about, I think, do you say African or Sudanese gangs? And, yeah, I think we can see in the in the newspaper today that it talks about gangs are going to be playing a huge part in the election, um, and that's for the Melbourne Council election, which we spoke about earlier. In the, ele- in the Melbourne Council election, was it? I thought they were talking... I, I, state, I, I only yeah, saw the headline, state, state but state I thought yeah. that... We've got a state election coming up this year, haven't we? Yeah, so I mean, I guess that it is interesting, I guess, like what you said, Christian, that, you know, what is the motivation behind this? And I guess we've we've talked a little bit about the whole show around how politicians especially use language to um, control and manipulate and get their point across. And and look, gang, gangs will play a role in this election. And, you know, gangs like... The, I've, I've, seen, I've seen gangs on the street of Melbourne at recent protests that I've never really seen in Melbourne before that seem to be part of our our everyday experience now and that's gangs of beefed up mutant ninja turtles of Victorian police who are out on the streets probably showing us trying to teach us all about the dangers of steroid abuse I reckon is the reason they're out there um, you know those kind of gangs you've got your gangs of the the Liberal parties and bankers, you've got your gangs of of ALP factions all fighting and bluing each other. They're obviously going to have an outcome of the election. There are gangs everywhere I look. Mm-hmm. I think that how the way that um, in the article I was reading there, and and also um, also just over the over the last few days, um, the there's a few different um, uh, African groups who have come out to talk. About the issue and and spoke about it in a really a really good way. They've they've spoken about how yeah there are there are um there is a problem you know it isn't a gang problem though they're saying there is a youth problem you know they they're a bit disengaged you know they're not they're not engaged with education or they're not engaged with things after school. They've said we're going down and meeting people and asking them you know what 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 issues what's an issue for you and and you know how um how can we help um you know, help you to get more engaged with the community. And and that that's where the problem's going to be um, moved forward, I guess. Mm. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, there. I, I guess we just need to wrap this up. But I, I think that I would say that people should seek out an alternative news in to be able to really, to not just, not just know more about, like, than what Peter Dutton is saying, but to seek out to change this conversation so that we can, you know, make this a more inclusive community that those um, young people can feel safe and be a part of. Yeah, his, his dog whistling, his appealing to the not despicables, I said before, deplorables mm. was the term was the term that was used about Trump supporters. That's who he's speaking to, and it's about as long as you can get people hating somebody else, mm. they're going to give less of a damn about their social services being cut, mm. about their inability to get into universities because of education funding, because their long waiting lists at the hospitals. You know, it's not my fault. It's these Sudanese gangs. It's mm. these African gangs. It was. 
you know, post-war, it was, it was the Italians and Maltese and Greek gangs, and it came on to the Yugoslavian gangs. And then we had, you know, in the 70s when the um, Vietnamese come out, it was Asian gangs. It's just, it's, it's the same rhetoric they've been using mm. for years. Nothing new under the sun there. And that's been Alternative News. And up next, we've got Liz to chat about a program at the Hume Council, which is the Environment uh, Champions Program. Are you there, Liz? Yes. How are you? Morning, Liz. Hello, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks a lot for coming on. I wonder if you could just start by um, letting people know. I saw that the the program is looking for people to get involved for the 2018. I wonder if yes. you could tell us a little bit about what the program is and how people can get involved in it. Yep, sure. So the program is called <clears> the <throat> Hume Environmental Champions, and it's for people who work, study, or live in the Hume Local Government Municipality, which spans the areas of uh, Broadmeadows and Campbellfield to the south, up north to Craigieburn and Calcallo, and then over to the western Sunbury. So if you live in that area, it's relevant for you. Um, and if not, then there are other local government programs in different municipalities who, that also run. Um, but basically, it's 10 training sessions on Wednesday nights. And if you are new to activism uh, and interested to learn more about grant writing, how to get media um, and project management, uh, then it's it's a really good program. So. Um, and one the of the way, participants last year uh, won an award, is that right? Uh, yeah, so um, oh, there, there's a few awards that have been won over the years, actually. Um, the, the program itself won a Keep Australia Beautiful Award in 2015. That was for the uh, community programs category. Um, and then, yeah, I think last year, at around about this time, um, yeah, one of the participants, Mercedes Ramirez from Sunbury, won, uh, she won the uh, Hume Citizen of the Year Award. Um, wow. So, yeah, so it's the, the, the kinds of programs that people are able to pull off are pretty significant. Um, the, the projects involve like cycling advocacy uh, and trying to get more bike lanes in the Hume municipality, uh, loads of community gardens, um, a couple of different climate change groups have come as a result of people training in that program um, and different kind of placemaking programs. So um, community members working with the council to kind of transform spaces into more green spaces. So it's a good kind of program for very direct um, democratic participation in the local government as well. So, so um, Liz Jacob here, mate. G'day. Hello. How are you, Jacob? <laughs> okay. Um, so, so if... I'm, I'm not in Hume, but where, yeah. where I to be in, in Hume and I went along, yeah. what kind of, what kind, what's the format? What kind of thing would I expect to, to, to take part in? Yeah, so what you actually do is on Wednesday nights, so starting from Wednesday the 22nd of February, it's two and a half hours, so from 6.15 till 8.30ish, mm-hmm. um, and um, you, basically it's 10 training sessions on Wednesday nights and excluding the school holidays. Um, so um, there are, in each week, in each kind of Wednesday evening session, there are different kind of um, uh, themes. So one theme might be about grant writing. Another week's theme might be about the use of the media and how as, <clears throat> as activists and community members we can use the media, including social media. Um, risk assessment and project management are also things 
So, yeah, that's what it's training sessions and then at the end of the training sessions, people can basically run their own projects, whatever that might be. Yeah. If they want to hook up with others, people do it as groups as well, um, which is really effective, obviously. And, and that's, and that's, 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 in, that's important yeah. to learn that kind of stuff like hazard and risk assessments and all that kind yeah. of stuff. I mean, people think they've got a good idea, we'll just go out and do it. And while we encourage that sort of behaviour, it's also yeah. good to actually get in there and talk to people who've done it before. Yep, definitely, exactly. Yep, and just figure out how to keep everybody safe in the process. Yeah. It, yeah. it seems like it's looking at um, somebody in the area who's, like you said, like the um, community gardens and, and cycling would be something that um, I could see in Hume area. Yeah. And I guess they would be, you know, having passion for that area and not knowing how to sort of uh, put their ideas together and move forward with it, and that's sort of taking the next steps. Is that... Yeah, pretty yeah. much, yeah. yeah. Like if you've got a kind of passion and an idea that you want to see an environmental project happening in your local area, um, and it is a very much a localised, mm. it's about where people live and study and work, mm-hmm. um, then, yeah, this, the idea is that this program gives people the skills to be able to pull that off and do... And, it, and it's not about the council's priorities either. Mm. It's very much about people's, the community members' priorities and what, what you want to see as a kind of local resident. But, um, but in terms of if people want to get involved um, but don't live in Hume, um, then I know that the city of Yarra, the city of Darabin, the city of Banyul mm. and Wyndham also have similar equivalent programs. So if you live or work in any of those areas, definitely get in touch with your local government uh, the best, about the program. What's there. the best way of people doing that through discounts of websites and yes. navigating through there? Yep. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And call in the customer service and they'll put you through to the right department. Yep. Yep. As we often say, we've been talk- we've talked about all kinds of things before: state elections, federal elections, even the, the midterm elections coming up in the United States. But as you often say here on 3CR and the left in general, actually, it's a matter of thinking globally but acting locally. And yep. I think all you know, I know it's one of my problems too. Often we get involved in these in in the the sort of outer world issues without looking after our own household, as it were. And so it's really good to see this kind of initiative taking place on a real local level. Is Yeah, and one of the councillors in Hume who was recently elected and now has the environment portfolio, she actually came from this uh, Hume Environmental Champions program. That was kind of how she got involved in local government in the first place. And now she's going great guns. She's, she's doing a whole lot of different things, basically transform the council, make it a whole lot more sustainable. So but It's amazing. Um, I thought someone who had started off in that program and then went on to council, it, yeah, so, sorry, it's good honour for keeping it going in that case. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Well, thanks a lot uh, for joining us today, Liz, and I think it's a really great way for people to perhaps start their year is getting involved in a program like that that can have real benefit for themselves and their environment and local area. And end up being Mayor of Hume. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. All right. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks, Liz. Okay, see you. Bye. I might move to Hume. Well, we are on Monday breakfast on 3CR, and we're coming very close to the end of the show, unfortunately. It's been uh, very great to have Jacob and Christian as special guests on today. I hope everyone has enjoyed listening to the tunes that Christian brought in. Thank you. And 
Jacob, it was good to have you. Um, I'm just starting to wake up, to be honest, James. <laughs> Do you want to give a, a shout-out to your show, Jacob? Well, if you want to hear me fully awake at Friday afternoons at 5 o'clock for a Friday rave, here on Community Radio 3CR. What time? 5 o'clock, Oh, mate. 5 o'clock. Friday? Yeah. Friday, oh. yeah. <laughs> on 3CR. Oh, 3CR. Yeah. 855? 855, 855, 3CR Digital and streaming through the www. Thank you, James, for having me. Thanks, 3CR. Well, it's been a really great show. And, um, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening. Coming up next, we have Women on the Line. Yep. And so stay tuned. Always interesting listening, Women on the Line. Stay tuned for Women on the Line. It's a great show. So you're listening to 855 AM, 3CR. Bye. Lest we forget, join us to commemorate the 176th anniversary of the execution of the two freedom fighters, Tanaminawai and Moorbohina, at the Tanaminawai and Moorbohina Monument, corner of Victoria and Franklin Street, Melbourne. Do you know the names of the first men hanged here in Melbourne town? Join us midday, Saturday the 20th of January 2018 and then walk with us to their last resting place in the Queen Victoria markets. The ceremony will be broadcast live on Community Radio 3CR, 3cr.org.au. Far from their ancestral homes down in You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.